Fathers, we just read, as Scripture testifies, your word calls us to give thanks to you. And we don't just give thanks to you for the sake of giving thanks. But Father, we give thanks to you because your mercy endures forever. Lord, you're always worthy of thanks. And, and mercy is undeserved from you. Lord, we do not deserve your mercy at all. There, there's nothing that we have done. There's nothing that we can ever do to deserve mercy from you. So, Father, we thank you this morning for this truth. And, Lord, we also thank you for this truth as it's found in 1 John, the fifth chapter, the last few verses. What John tells us, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know, Lord, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know you who is true. And we are in you who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are of you. We belong to you. We are your children. We are sons and heirs of our Lord. And Lord, we lift you up and thank you, Lord, for what we know. Lord, these things are written to us, to those who believe in the name of the son of God so that we may know that we have eternal life. Lord, we know that you hear us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that we have asked from you in Jesus name and in accordance with his will. We know, Lord, that no one who is born of you continues in the same unbroken pattern of sin as before. Lord, we know that we are of you because we hear the voice of your spirit in your word. And Lord, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know you who is true. Because, Father, he reveals your truth to us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you that we know all the necessary things, who you are, who your son is, what the gospel is, what salvation is, what sin is, what redemption is what righteousness is, what it means to be born of you, what it means to be a child of God, what it means, Lord, to be delivered from the power of the evil one, what it means to have eternal life. Lord, these things we know because you have given us revelation of them. You have illuminated our understanding so that we might know with full assurance. But Lord, the best thing of it all is knowing you, the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, the ever-present God, the eternal Savior, the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in it, the Lord of righteousness, the judge of the living and the dead, the justifier of all who believe in Jesus. Lord, you are unspeakably great. We can't fathom your greatness, Lord. We can try to with our finite human minds. Lord, you are unspeakably great and greatly to be praised. 
Lord, the eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due time. Lord, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing and every living person, even those who reject you, even those who hate you, Lord. You still open your hand by a sheer act of mercy and satisfy their desire. And Lord, may we seek satisfaction in you and you alone. Lord, we bless you for the good news of salvation. And Lord, we ask you this morning, we pray for the salvation of those who are listening and watching on Facebook and who listen to the podcast, those who aren't saved. Lord, may the good news of salvation reach their hearts. Lord, open their hearts to receive the gospel that they may be saved. Lord, give them saving faith. Lord, we thank you for the visitors who have been coming to our church, that you may grant them faith, uh, that you may grant um, Mandy and also Courtney and also Grace and also Brandon, Lord, that you may grant them saving faith to believe the gospel and be saved. Lord, may they look to you and be saved. May they look to you, turning away from their sins. And Lord, may you reveal your truth to them. And may you redeem them from their sins, Lord. Give them saving faith right now. And Lord, we bless you for all the doctrines and insights and promises of salvation. By its truth, we understand that we were hopelessly lost but you sought and found us. We were poor and empty, but you filled our cups to overflowing. Lord, we were in darkness, but you brought us into the light of the gospel. Lord, we were in bondage to sin. We were slaves to sin, but you bought us and made us slaves to righteousness. You became for us, Lord, a place of refuge, our fortress, our rock, and our Redeemer. Lord, make us to be bold reflections of the grace and holiness that we find in Jesus Christ. Lord, use both our lives and our lips to tell the world of the glory of Christ, especially at this time of year where people are celebrating the birth of Christ, Lord. Use our lives and our lips to tell what this season is truly about. Lord, we know that all things are in your hands. You will not permit us to be tempted beyond what we're able. And Lord, you can even use the worst things that happen to us in this life for our good and your eternal glory. Lord, we pray as Christ himself instructed us to pray. Deliver us from evil. Set us safely and speedily through all our trials that are so common in this life. And deliver us, Lord, from temptation. Lord, we ask you to illuminate your text to us this morning as I preach through Galatians concerning us being sons and heirs of Christ and what that special union means, being sons of God and being heirs to the promise. Lord, wash us and make us clean by your word. Illuminate your truth. Refresh us, Lord with your truth encourage the faithful convict the sinner and may you be praised and glorified 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Man, let us turn to Galatians, the third chapter. We're looking at uh, verses 26 through the 11th verse of chapter 4. Now, we may not get to the whole text uh, this week. Uh, There's so much richness in this passage. I may do a part two next week. In fact, uh, I think it's almost certain that I I will do a second part to this uh, this passage. I think just this for this morning, I may just focus on verses 26 through 29, but we'll uh, we'll see. But we may not get to all of it uh, this morning. Uh, but this is a great passage. It's, it speaks of us being uh, sons and heirs through faith, through faith in Christ. So let's read our passage here and um, see what the Lord has to say to us. So Paul says here, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, just as a reminder, as you're reading, especially the letters of Paul. Who the you refers to. Uh, we always have to think about context uh, when we're looking at passages of scripture. Who is the audience? So when Paul is saying you, he's speaking of believers. He's talking to the Galatians and by extension, he's talking to Christians. So uh, he's not speaking to non-Christians. He's speaking to believers. So when you see the word you and us and we, he's speaking about believers. So he says here, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born of a woman, rather, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out Abba father therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ Jesus but then indeed when you did not know God you serve those which by nature are not gods but now after you have known God or rather are known by God 
How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons. I am afraid of you, lest I labored in vain. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So this passage begins with an application of the concept of sonship by faith. We see that in the first uh, four verses, verses 26 to 29. There's a fundamental equality of believers as it relates to their right standing before God. And that was what Paul was trying to get across as you uh, see here, especially in verse uh, 28. Ethnic, social, and gender distinctions are in no way meritorious. They're not, they're not earned. Okay? They're not earned at all. One great theologian, I think his name is Dr. Jack uh, McGorman, he said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The cross erases all distinctions. That, that doesn't mean that we don't have distinctions, because we do. All of us have different melanin count all of us have different socioeconomic statuses you know income levels or or whatnot but the ground is level at the foot of the cross everyone is on equal plane because everyone is a sinner in the eyes of God and this passage does not blur the God-given roles and distinctions as they relate to gender when it says there's no male or female well Get into that in a little bit. And then you go to chapter 4. This is the key division of this passage. And Paul talks about the roles of the law. As he piggybacks on that. He highlights the accomplishment of Jesus. Through uh, securing the status. Of those who believe as sons. And sons is a general term. Meaning sons and daughters. You know the Bible uses masculine Language, when it talks about man, it's talking about both men and women, you know, as a general term for mankind. So when he's speaking of sons, he's saying basically sons and daughters uh, of, um, of Christ. So he's not just saying men and not women, in other words. So make sure you keep that in mind. And then he talked about the appointed time that Christ came. At the appointed time, the time that was right, the fullness of time. That God sent forth his son. And what he sent him forth to do. To redeem us. And to adopt us as sons. And because we're sons. God sent forth his spirit. So this shows. That as I've said before. When we are saved in Christ. God sends us his spirit. We don't have to do anything. To receive the Holy Spirit. God gives us his spirit freely. There's nothing, and I, I keep saying that because you have a lot of churches that teach that, especially Pentecostal holiness churches, that you have to do something to receive the Holy Ghost. We do nothing. God saves us, and he does what? Sends us his spirit. It says it clearly right here in the passage. God has sent forth his spirit of his son into where? Your hearts. Okay? So that's what God does when he saves us. And because we have a spirit, we can call out to him, what? Abba, Father. So this is showing, I'm just kind of 
of determining the structure of the passage and explain it to you before we get into it. So this shows us that when we receive the spirit of God and become his sons, we can call on God as father. Not everyone can call God father except by the spirit of God. You know, when Jesus talked about in the Lord's prayer where he says, our father, that's not for every single person. God is not the father of everybody. He's the creator of everyone. You know, everyone is not a son of God. Okay. You're not a son of God just by birth. Okay. Just by being born. You're created by God. You're made in his image. But only those who have received Christ are the true sons and daughters of God. Okay. Scripture teaches that that is consistent with the word of God. And we'll get to that here in a second. So then he expresses his fears for them. That before they served those who were by nature not gods. Talked about the uh, paganism. But he focused on the assuring activity of the Holy Spirit in them. That's what he focused on. And he addressed his concern about the behavior of his Galatian readers. He's fearing that he had labored in vain because he was struggling and striving with this church. Because they were not receiving the gospel message that he had delivered to them about, you know, doing things that the Jews uh, were telling them to do. So now circling back here to the uh, first verses of our message here, uh, chapter three, verse 26. We're going to work on three principles uh, this morning. The first principle we find in verses 26 to 29 is the application of the gospel supplies the equality of sonship. The application of the gospel, the gospel being applied to believers, supplies the equality of sonship. So looking back at verses 26 through 29 again, what do we see? For you, believers, are all sons of God through faith in who? Christ Jesus. All of them. All of us. So, what does this mean? We have full sonship if we are in Christ. Turn to first, I'm not first John, turn to John the first chapter right quick. The Gospel of John. Look at a parallel. Uh, we, we confirm scripture by scripture. And look at verse 12 of John, the first chapter, the Gospel of John. Well, Look back at verse 10, get a little bit, con little bit of context here. This talks about the same thing in essence. Okay, look back at John 1, verse 10. And this is speaking of Christ. That's who the he is. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him. 
What does it mean to receive Christ? To receive Christ is to acknowledge him as Christ. Acknowledge him as redeemer. Acknowledge him as savior. Believing in him. Now I want you to listen to the words here. As many as received him. To them he gave. This is the grace of God. The gift of salvation. It is something that is given to us. It is not something that we earn. It is not something that we can name. And claim. And declare. And decree. It is what? Given. We are given the right. To become what? Children of God. Okay. Who gives us the right? God does. We don't have the right. God gives us the right to be his sons. And again, sons is a neutral term, meaning sons and daughters. Okay. God gives that right to us. We do nothing to earn that. He gave us the what? Right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. So the question is, is everybody a child of God? No. Only those who believe in Christ are his children. The person who's out there living their life, rejecting God, rejecting the gospel, rejecting his church, rejecting salvation. How can they be children of God? They can't be. They hate the God who made them. They hate the God who brought the gospel message to them through his son. So how can they be his children? They can't be. So to those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood. So they're not children of God because they're Jewish. Or because they have a certain bloodline. Nor of the will of the flesh. Again it's not something that we do. It's not something that we can speak into existence. Something that we can speak in the atmosphere. Something that we can manifest. None of that nonsense. Nor of the will of man. But of who? God. We become sons of God by God. So looking at this message here this morning. That's why Paul says you are all sons of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. Not just by being born. And who gives us the faith to believe in Christ? God does. We can't muster up faith to believe in God. It is him who gives us the faith to believe. So that's the first thing to remember about this. We are all sons of God through faith. Then he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Now, what does he mean by as many of us has been baptized in Christ? He's speaking of the uh, baptism of uh, believers. Okay, so he's not saying that just because a person goes into the walls of baptism, that baptism saves because it does not. 
He says that because for him, in the earliest church, earliest Christian church, repentance and faith and conversion and baptism were often experienced as a single event. So that's why he spoke of those who were being baptized into Christ. You know, I read this in the early church. As soon as a Christian came to faith in Christ, they got baptized immediately. They didn't wait until like a special service or, 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 or you know, a couple of times a year. As soon as they were saved, guess what? They were baptized right away. You know, where was the nearest pool? Where was the nearest river or creek or, or, or lake or whatever? You know, baptized, get baptized. It, it was something that they did right away. It was, a, it was a package deal. The earliest church did not view baptism as something that you did months or even years after your professional faith. It was something that they did immediately. So Paul is saying, as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ because that is what baptism looks like. It is a reality that when we are baptized, guess what we're doing? We're putting on Christ himself. And why? Because Christ is the one who is the object of our faith. And that faith brings us to a close connection with him. And it unites us with him. So, so what Paul is doing here is he is showing that full unity that we have with Christ. We are fully united with Christ in baptism. And then he goes to show us that there's no distinction as being sons of God. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a very foundational text right here. Now the law as opposed to the law. Paul said this because. The law created distinctions. There were all types of distinctions and differences in the law. For example, we had distinctions between Jews and Gentiles in the law. You had distinctions between clean and unclean animals. There were certain laws and regulations for clean animals. There were laws and regulations for unclean animals. There were distinctions between different types of crimes and different types of punishment because there were distinctions even in that. So what Paul here is saying is that there's no distinction. And Jesus talks about this himself. So let's look at what Paul says again. There's neither Jew nor Greek. And Greek is a Gentile, a non-Jew. Okay? We're ethnically, biblically Gentiles because we're not Jewish. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. That is so key to this principle that we're talking about. I want to look at a few scriptures that talk about this. So what Christ did, the great thing that the cross did the great thing about the cross, the great thing about the gospel that people have tried to destroy today, the gospel brings people together.
regardless of distinction. That is the great thing that the gospel does. The gospel unites. The gospel separates true from false, but it unites all who are under the truth. You have now, uh, you hear terms like the black church. I hate that term. That's a term of division, a term of separation. After um, 2016, when um, President Trump was elected, you had a lot of black professed Christians who, who said that, you know, because they hated Donald Trump so much, they couldn't worship with, with white evangelicals because they voted for Trump. And so they started leaving predominantly white churches. That's sinful. And some people still have that sentiment. That's not biblical. That's not what the gospel does. You have some who say, oh, I can't go to this church because they don't play my type of music. You have people who feel that way. Or they're not speaking to my, they're not speaking to the black experience. That's what they say. So I'm going to go to a church that speaks to my black experience. You're you're causing division that the gospel has eradicated. Putting up barriers that the gospel hasn't put there. And they make it more about their skin color. And you have people going around debating about whether Jesus was black or whether he was Middle Eastern or how he looked. It doesn't matter. But you have people in churches who are debating about that. All these earthly distinctions that put up walls, put up barriers to people coming to Christ. And those things are not, should not divide. But people have used it to do so. Those who've been here long enough, we've been in the church for 12 years. We have never gone down that road and we never will. We never have. We don't talk in those terms. We don't use that kind of language here at the living church. We don't. Because it doesn't belong in the house of God. We don't have a black history program. We don't talk about that in those terms. It's not that those things are not necessarily important, but they don't belong in the church. Let the world clamor over that stuff. For us, it is what? What unites us? And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, there's neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter what your melanin count is in your skin. Are you in Christ or are you not? Either you are a son or of Christ or you are not it doesn't matter what your skin color is if I meet another believer that's purple praise the Lord brother praise the Lord sister glad to meet you when did you come to Christ you have fellowship with them no matter where you go around the world 
you got people that say, oh, I don't feel comfortable in, in this church around, you know, these certain uh, people. I will question whether you're a believer or not. I will. Because that's not Christian. That's not a Christian attitude. That's not a Christian disposition. At all. That is thoroughly unbiblical. So Paul here is saying. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter a person's socioeconomic status. Now the thing is. Human nature dictates. We do congregate around those whom we seem to have familiarity with. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what does the gospel do? It tears down those artificial walls of division. The person who is very wealthy is just as much a son of God as a person who's very poor and homeless. It does not matter. People of every culture or every ethnicity, people of every class, men and women equally are invited to come to the Savior and be welcome into the kingdom of God. And we are so fused into one that these differences don't even exist. That is what our focus should be, and that is what uh, Paul is addressing here. That's what it means to be in Christ, through faith in Christ. Our union in Christ as believers is what matters the most. When we're regenerated, guess what? We're in Christ. We're all together, brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Amen? Jesus talks about the uniting what he came to do here in uh, John, the 10th chapter. Uh, turn to this uh, right quick. This is what Jesus himself says. Let's turn to John 10. And this is Jesus, uh, the good shepherd discourse. And looking at verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. And am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And verse 16 is the key here. And other sheep, he was talking about Gentiles at this point. Excuse me. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring that they will hear my voice. And look at this, Lord Jesus. And there will be how many flock? One flock. And how many shepherds? One shepherd. There is only one flock. It's not a black flock, a white flock, an Asian flock, a 
European flock, an African flock, a South American flock, a Canadian flock, a Mexican slash Hispanic flock. There's only one flock. There's only one. No more distinctions. Now, do they have different cultural styles and ways of doing it based on the culture in which they live? Yes. Different customs as long as they're in line with scripture? Yes. If you go visit a church in somewhere in Brazil, I'm sure the service will probably be a little different. The language will be different because they speak Portuguese down there. <laughs> we won't know what they're saying and some of them probably won't understand what we're saying unless we go to an English-speaking uh, church. But you know what will unite you with those believers? Your unity in Christ. That you all are all sons of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said he has other sheep. He was talking about the Gentiles that he's going to bring into the fold and that there will be one flock. So Jesus himself says there's only one flock. And so here we see what Paul says. There's neither Jew nor Greek. So he was basically applying what Christ taught. And when he says male or female, that I mean that they're not distinctions between men and women. What that does mean is that in Christ, we, male and female, are the same at the level of the cross. We're all level at the cross. And that's how we relate to one another. Okay? There are, gen uh, when he says male or female, now there are differences between male and female because uh, the women didn't have to get circumcised, but the men did. <laughs> Amen? Circumcision created a distinction between male and female. But women as well as men are baptized to testify to their equal standing within the church of Christ. Women are baptized the same way men are. Now this doesn't mean again that some people use this verse neither male nor female to say that okay uh, that means that in, in terms of leadership there's no distinction but it is. Because Paul later you know talked about the position of a uh, pastor is that of a male not a female. So this doesn't mean that those distinctions of leadership are eradicated or done away with. I want to make sure that we understand that. But he says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are what? Abraham's seed. Now, he talked about this as we looked at last week about being uh, of Abraham and being sons of the promise. So because we are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed. And we are what? Heirs according to the promise. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom. None. Now what promise is he talking about? You have to go back to Genesis 12 and 3. I'll read it for you right quick. It was the covenant that God made with Abraham. This promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago is applied to us today. So this is what God tells Abraham in Genesis 12 and 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the promise that we inherited as believers. And how did that blessing happen? Through Christ. That blessing happened through Christ. We're Christ's people and we're Abraham's offspring. And we are heirs of that promise. So that is the great privilege that we have as believers. We have a privilege of being heirs of Christ. Christian, you should never feel discouraged about who you are. Do you know a lot of people in this world are searching for a purpose and meaning and identity? That's what they're searching for. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for purpose. But they're looking for it in all the wrong places and trying to achieve it in all the wrong ways. They're searching. They're using drugs. They're using social media. They're mutilating their bodies. They're doing all these things. Living uh, abhorrent lifestyles. Searching for meaning, for purpose, for significance. What do we have that's better? We are sons of God. We are heirs of the promise. Heirs of the promises of God. An heir is someone who does what? Inherits something. Something is passed down to them. If you're a Christian this morning, you have the greatest privilege over anyone else in the world. You have Christ. You're in Christ. There is no better privilege, people. That's a privilege that no one can take from you. That is an inheritance that you have that you can't lose. You know, you hear stories about people squandering their parents' inheritance. You know, the, the spoiled rich kid gets all the money from their parents when they die, and they go out there and get on drugs and, and get tattoos all over their body and, and go out and party and carouse and, and, and do all this stuff with all this money that they don't know what to do with. The next thing you know, they have a tragic end. Or their life becomes a cautionary tale. They squander that inheritance. But the inheritance that we have in Christ, guess what? We can't squander it because it wasn't ours. It was given to us. We are heirs of Christ according to the promise. We are full heirs. And another scripture I want to read to confirm that is Romans 8. So let's turn to Romans 8 right quick, verses 14 through 17. I read this uh, a couple of days ago, and man, I just felt so encouraged in the spirit when I read this passage. Romans 8. 14 through 17. 
This is what Paul says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, there it is. They are the what? Sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of what? Adoption. By which we cry out what? Abba, Father. Didn't we just read that in Galatians? The Spirit of God does that. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Man, that is such a great promise that we have as believers. We have the spirit. We are heirs of God. We are sons of God. We are adopted by God. The spirit makes us aware of the reality that God has made us his children. That's why we pray sometimes, Lord, encourage them in the spirit. What we mean by that is the Holy Spirit encouraging you that you are a child of God, that God has not forsaken you, that God has not forgotten about you, that God's love has abandoned you. Why? Because you are his son. You are his child. The spirit testifies that to us. The spirit encourages us. That's why he says that the spirit himself does what? Bears witness with our spirit. That is the privilege that we have of being his son. We have his spirit. And what does his spirit do? His spirit testifies, bears witness to us. Guess what? You are a child of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, saint, you are forgiven. You are justified. You are declared righteous. You have an advocate with uh, the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He encourages us. He affirms our sonship with him. So you can't go around saying, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy, Lord, of, of, of being your child. No, the spirit tells us that we are his children and that we are heirs. We're heirs of God and not only heirs of God, but we're joint heirs with Christ. We have that. Uh, we have all that Christ has. We have all that Christ has. Every believer is an heir of God. We will inherit eternal salvation. We'll inherit God himself. We will inherit glory. Why? Because we are sons of God by the spirit. And no person. No person can take that from us we are adopted children we receive all the measure of grace that is in Christ friends we have to lay hold to that truth no one can take our spiritual inheritance away from us not even the devil himself you know there's, you know, we've seen this on uh, and you know until I Got my theology and doctrine right. I used to sing this song too. You know, I went into the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. Y'all know that. Well, some of y'all may know that song. Taking back what the devil stole from you. 
taking back my joy, taking back my peace, taking back my happiness. That song is theologically wrong. The devil can't steal from us what God has given to us. If so, he's more powerful than God. Think about that. We cannot take, I'm sorry, the devil cannot take from us what God has given to us. He's not more powerful than God. And we're going to deal with that in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive that fruit. The devil can't take our joy away from us. He can't take our peace away from us. It's given to us by what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals it. He seals us with that. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. It is nothing that the devil can take from you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The scripture here says it. That the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons of God. And the sons and then we're heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. We are entitled to all that Christ has. We have everything in Christ. And Satan cannot take that away from us. And Paul was telling his Galatians, obeying the law doesn't give you that. It doesn't give you that at all. We are heirs. And so then we look at chapter 4. He addresses the role of the law. And he uses a human example here. So this leads to our next principle. The accomplishment of Jesus Christ secures our sonship. So chapter 4 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So he's using the illustration here. Uh, a child is like a servant, a child that is an heir, like the heir apparent in a, in a rich household or, um, you know, someone who has a lot of money and they have like a child or like in a royal family, you know, the child is an heir, but they don't have that power yet because the, the father or the mother, just like, you know, was it Prince Charles? He was the heir to the throne, but as long as Queen Elizabeth was alive, he didn't have that power. He was just like everybody else. Okay. He had to serve the queen as his mother and as the queen, just as everyone else did. He didn't have the rights of the king yet because he was just an heir. So the heir has the power that is waiting for it, but they don't differ, as Paul says, from a slave, though he is a master. Though he is a master. But it is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time, the time appointed by the father. So, again, Paul is using an illustration here. That child is under supervision. He's under guardians. Until the date is set. So basically he's like a trust fund baby. Waiting on that time for 
mom or dad or mom and dad to kick the bucket. <laughs> you hear stories all the time about children killing their parents for inheritance, which is idiotic because they end up not getting it anyway. They're going to find out that you killed them. But you hear stories about that. They kill their parents for inheritance instead of doing what? Instead of waiting and being patient. So as long as that child is a minor, that he's no different than a slave because he has yet to come into possession of that inheritance. So Paul says in verse 3, even so we believers, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. That means the rituals, human religion, worldly systems. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Paul makes the application that when we were minors, when we were children in Christ, basically, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, the, the, the worldly philosophies, the worldly ideologies. We were enslaved to those. But what changed everything? The coming of Christ. This change came when the fullness of time had come. Guess what that means? Christ came just at the right time. He was born of a woman just at the right time. And born of a woman is again, back when we read the catechism, he's born of a virgin, attributes to him being fully God. God became man. He was born of a woman. That changed everything. And it was a time set by who? The Father. Set by the Father. The Father sent forth his Son. He was born under the law. And what did he come to do? Redeem. Provide redemption. That's what he came to do. He came to redeem us. He came to set us free. As being fully God. God sent forth his son as fully God. Born of a woman as fully man. That's why sometimes uh, I refer to him as the, and theologians refer to him as the God man. He was both fully God and fully man. He was the God man. And so the humanity of Christ, unfortunately, is one of the most underdeveloped uh, doctrines in Christianity. We talk about it a lot here that, that Christ was man. He was fully man. He was God in the flesh. He was deity even as man. He was fully man and he, he lived with the conditions of a human life. He did everything but sin. We just sung with Jesus Messiah. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. Christ lived in a sinful world yet he did not sin. Christ experienced suffering. He experienced anger. He experienced everything that we did. He was tempted by the devil three times after he fasted for 40 days. So he's experienced temptation before. And Paul tells us that 
that he provides a way out of temptation. Why? Because he himself was tempted. The writer in Hebrews 4 tells us that he was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. And because of that, we can go to him as our high priest. Because we can never, and I say it sometimes from time to time, we can never say, Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. You just don't know how I feel. Lord, you just don't know what I've been through. It wasn't like this when, when you were, um, you know, in the earth. We didn't, you didn't have cell phones and social media and, and, and all this technology. No, he didn't have all that. But guess what? He still experienced the temptations that those things bring. There may be new methods. There may be new avenues to sin. But it's the same old temptation. It's the same old devil. He hadn't changed. Amen. And then he says that Christ was born under the law. What does this mean? That he was fully obedient to God's law. He was our substitute to bear the full penalty of the law. Because we could not. So this Christ was born under the law. And what was his mission? To accomplish redemption. In order that he might redeem those who were under the law. And what was the goal of that? To give us full sonship. That we might receive what? Adoption. As sons. So Paul was telling the Galatians here that as heirs. We are adopted as sons. We have been adopted as sons of God. And what is the great glory in that? Look at verse 6. He gives the reason for this. The new privilege that we have. And because you are sons... God did what? Sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. We talked about that earlier. We talked about that in Romans 8. God sent forth his spirits to reveal his spirit in us. To reveal to us that we are his sons. He sent his spirit into our hearts. And what do our hearts cry out? Abba. Abba is an Aramaic term. You have three languages uh, in, in Scripture. You have, uh, Old Testament is mostly Hebrew. The Gospels were written in Aramaic. And then you have uh, Paul's letters and other letters were written in Greek. So Abba was an Aramaic term. It was a term of endearment. And it was primarily used by young children. You know, speaking to their fathers. That's what it was like. I think some uh, theologians have said it's like the word daddy. Or papa. So what does this mean? The, 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 the spirit of God brings us into a personal, intimate relationship with our heavenly father. Personal and intimate. And because we have a personal intimate relationship with God. Guess what? We can approach him at any time. 
and under any circumstance. Knowing that he will always hear us and lovingly care for us. Why? Because we are his own. We are his sons. That is the greatness of being an heir. God hears us any time, saints. Under any circumstance. As I always say, you can't go to God and say, Lord, I know you're tired of hearing from me. <laughs> I know God tired of hearing from me. I, I, I pray to him all the time. I know he's tired of me. Don't say that. That's blasphemous. That's dishonoring to God. You are his what? Son. You could go to him any time. Any circumstance. Good or bad. You can go to your father. And guess what? He will hear you. He will lend an ear to you. Just like I used this illustration last week. Uh, a king will not answer a call at 3 o'clock in the morning except for a call from his son. God is a greater king even than that. When you can't go to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning. It reminds me of Psalm 121. He who watches Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's never a time when God is not awake. So Paul is saying here. Therefore. The fact that you are sons. And heirs through faith. The fact that you have the spirit. Therefore, verse 7, you are no longer a slave. You have a new privilege. You have a new position. You have a new privilege. You are no longer a slave, but a what? Son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Your heirs. Your heirs, Christian. We have to understand that. We are sons of God. And we are children of God by faith. So, in application here, we're going to stop right there. We'll, we'll pick up on verse 8 next week. We'll incorporate this into the next passage for next week. I want to land this plane here by thinking about this. As we, how do we apply this truth that we just heard? When we leave out here today, what, what should we be thinking? I'll say this. What I want to what I want us to think about as we agree to leave is this. Do we truly know in our hearts that we are sons of God? Do we truly meditate on that and think about it and ponder it? That we are sons of God. Like just thinking about that term. 
We are sons of God through faith. And what a great privilege that is for us as believers. As we truly internalize that. There's nothing that can keep us from going to God. There is no one. Who can stop us. From going to God. It is a privilege that we have. Do you know me and my wife was talking about this. uh, When we hear babies cry sometimes. Do you know that. Every newborn baby has his own distinct cry. All babies cry the same. No matter what language they speak. Because they can't speak. Y'all know that about. Have you noticed that about babies? No matter what. They all cry the same. (laughs) They do. But guess what? The children of God. We have the same cry. We know that we're children of God. When we cry in a certain way. We know that we've been adopted into God's family when we respond to the circumstances in our life with cries out to God. And we know that we are sons and daughters when we look to our Heavenly Father in time of confidence and trust. I took a test this past week, my uh, property and casualty exam that I took on uh, what was that Wednesday? Um, you know, I'm, I'm with State Farm and I ha- had to get my PNC, as we call it, in order to be able to become a full State Farm agent so I can sell auto insurance and homeowners and renters insurance and all that because I had my life license, but I had to take my PNC license. But man, as I was sitting for the test, I was like, Lord, just be with me. Just help me. I need your help. As I study, you know, I just need your help. I'm just, just praying, crying out to God, Lord, help. Help me to pass the test. A lot is riding on it. And the Lord blessed me to pass it. But I was just crying out to God. Not like with tears, but just crying out to God. Just, Lord, help me. Lord, I need your help. I need your assistance. I need the Spirit's help. Help me to learn this material. Got 150 questions. You know, uh, Lord, help. Help, 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 help. We cry out to God. And I know that God hears me because guess what? I'm one of his children. That's the confidence that you have. When you call out to God, you know that what? He hears you. That's a privilege, saints. The God who made the heavens and earth and everything in it. The creator and the sustainer Of all there is, he bends his ear down to hear from his people. There's no God like our God. All these other gods are false gods. They're fools. All these idols can't do that. What did the Bible say? They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, but they can't touch. And those who worship them will be like them. They'll be just as empty, just as void, just as useless, just as helpless as their idols. But our God is a living God. He is the true God. 
And he is our father. And guess what? When we go to him, he's not some impotent God that's walking around, pacing back and forth like, hmm, what am I going to do about this? No, he is a God who hears us. And he is a God who not only hears us, but he answers us like a good father will. That is the privilege that we have as believers. As being heirs. That is what I want us to leave with this morning. And that's what Paul was trying to tell these Galatians. You don't have to try to obey the law because you can't. If you're trying to obey the law, then you're not acting as an heir and as a son. You're trying to earn that privilege. But no, that privilege was given to you by your heavenly father. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of being heirs, being sons of you. We thank you, Lord, that through Christ and in Christ that we have a great privilege as believers. Excuse me, Lord, because of that privilege, we can come to you we can pray to you. We can run to you. Because you are our father. Lord we love you. We thank you and praise you this morning. And Lord I pray for unbelievers who are hearing this message. Who are watching it. Lord that you convict them of their sins. They are not in you. They are not your sons. They are not your daughters. Lord we are sons and heirs through faith in Christ. Not through some wish. Lord I pray that you grant saving faith. To those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one true God. And Lord for us as believers again. We thank you for the encouragement that the spirit gives. And testify with our spirit. That we are sons in God. And if sons we are heirs. With God. And Lord we are co-heirs with Christ. Lord, may we meditate on these precious truths as we go through this week. Until we meet again, in Christ's name I pray, amen.